Welcome to Ahead in the Cloud, where business leaders share what they've learned on their cloud journey. I'm Chad Watt, researcher and writer with the Emphasis Knowledge Institute. I'm joined today by Priya Almakar, Vice President of IT Manufacturing Operations at Wolfspeed, a semiconductor company formerly known as Cree. Welcome, Priya. Thank you. How are you today? Doing well, doing well. So Cree pivoted in the last year or two from main LED lighting products to focusing on new sorts of semiconductors and microchips for the automotive industry, among other things. Took the name Wolfspeed and signed a deal with General Motors to supply chips for electric vehicles. Priya, tell me how you got from Jakarta to Oklahoma State to Sprint to putting microchips in the next generation of Chevys. My parents were in Jakarta. I grew up in Jakarta and there were few universities that had full education, college education in, in English uh, language. So my dad said to me, he's like, maybe, you know, you need to go to U.S. to finish your degree because, uh, you know, getting a degree from Jakarta in Indonesian language, I don't know how much work it would be. And um, I said, uh, sure. So I applied to universities and the criteria for us to apply to universities was where it snows the least. So our university had consortium with few universities and uh, we picked Oklahoma because that's where it snowed the least compared to Ohio and, you know, few other places uh, within the United States. So that's how I landed in Oklahoma. And as soon as I landed and we are getting driving from the airport and I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? Because comparing a Jakarta metropolitan to Oklahoma was quite the comparison. <laughs> so, but it was a great school. I continued my passion for computers there. So I graduated with a, a computer science degree and I wanted to go back. Obviously coming from Jakarta metropolitan to Oklahoma, it was great, but I wanted to go back to Asia and I wasn't looking to apply to any jobs or anything like that. But my friends were like, hey, you know, you've invested so much money, at least see what your Award. So I went to a career fair begrudgingly and applied to few positions over there. There were actually only three left, booths left open in the career fair. I gave my resume to three. I got interview calls from all three and I got actually job offers from all three. And then my parents were like, well, you have to at least work a year. Well, year turned 25 years and that's how my journey started. <laughs> so I went to work for Sprint. I worked for them for about 10 years and I decided I didn't want to be one of those people that kind of got hired into a company and retired from that company. So I decided to make a change after 10 years, went to retail, Pella Shoes, and then I decided how much furthest I can get from retail. And that's when high tech came in because it's th that is like the highest of the high tech. So I, I went to Global Foundries. I ran their um, infrastructure and operations, enterprise architecture, and then ended up driving their digital transformation. And that's how I got introduced to World Speed. And I saw how we were uh, looking to drive analytics capabilities at the time. And that's what drove me to come join WorldSpeed. And also it is like the highest of the high tech in terms of innovation. I mean, silicon carbide is the way to go for all the automotive manufacturers. And I love technology. So being on the innovative side of technology is what kind of attracted me to WorldSpeed. And I'm loving it. What about it appealed to you? What made you fall in love with technology? So math always came easy to me. In India, it was, and even in Indonesia for that matter, you had to pick between like the, the streams that you can go in high school is like math and biology or, you know, math and something else, right? So if you are going to go in science or otherwise there is like options for commerce or arts and things like that. Medical, I would faint at the sight of blood. So that was not an option. <laughs> 
So, but as soon as I got introduced to computers, being able to write a program and see what it can do for you, to me, that was something that you, I like to see outcomes. I'm a very results oriented person. So that's what kind of drove me to it to say that if I can write something and make it do something, I get the result right away. And just the computing power of things to be able to get a machine to do things was just exciting to me. I'm a geek at heart, I admit. (laughs) A geek at heart. What advice do you have for women pursuing leadership roles in technology companies? I think probably two things. One, be fearless, take risks. And I mean, I've talked to women a few times. I think what makes it easier to take those risks is having some sort of a plan B. So for example, with my career, I wasn't very keen on working here, like I mentioned, right? I wanted to go back to Asia. And so when I started working at uh, Sprint, Sprint was launching this international call centers. And now I'm going to date myself, but it was like, you know, the time when the, the lines were getting laid in the ocean, right? So it was very exciting, a bit big project for Sprint. And I wanted to work on that project. So I went to the director of that team at that time. And I said, I want to work on this project. And he's like, you just graduated out of school and you want to work on the biggest project that Sprint is doing? No, think again. And I kept going back to him again and again. And I said, you know what? So finally, I got to a point because, you know, in my back of my mind, I was like, if I don't do this, fine, I will go back home and tell my parents, I'm sorry, I got fired, right? So I went to him. And I literally said that to him, I said, give me a slice of it. If I don't work out, give me three months. If I don't work out, you fire me. He just got taken aback with me taking that risk. And he's like, okay, because he took that risk on me, I worked really hard. And I would be there in the office till 4am, go take a quick nap, take a shower and come back and be back in the office by seven. And I did that for six months straight. But I was able to take that risk and believe in me that I can teach myself. So I would say take risks, don't be afraid. If you feel like you can do something believe in yourself. And what makes it easier is having that plan B. For me, that plan B was, "Mm, I go back home, right? So that's one of my early learnings I had, and I've kept it with me going forward in my career. And that has helped me. Wolfspeed went into pretty, you know, significant supply deal with GM. So congrats on that. And then kind of take us through, what did it take for Wolfspeed to win that deal with such a big, big client? I think our product is amazing. It obviously we have proven in the market right now, building silicon carbides, 200 millimeter chips. We are the only factory in the largest factory in, in Mohawk Valley that we announced. And I think the just proving the capabilities of how much charge it can hold. It is manufactured here in USA, how quickly it can charge. I think our product speaks for itself. And having that background of understanding silicon carbide product coming from Cree and transition into wall speed has made us you know so much further or has led us so much further ahead into the market that i think it was an easy decision even people who don't know much about technology right now have heard about cars and microchips and shortages what is wall speed doing to make sure that you guys supply what your client and future clients need if you're following us, you know that we made the announcement with uh, we did the inauguration with Mohawk Valley. It's the first largest, like I mentioned, the 200 millimeter silicon carbide manufacturing facility. Just a couple of weeks ago, we announced another materials factory in Chatham County, North Carolina, a $5 billion investment. So 
we obviously have proven technology and now we are continuing to expand to make sure that we continue to be the leaders in the market and uh, we have very aggressive growth plans and I think so far we are continuing on that journey. I mean, just being able to open up a brand new semiconductor manufacturing facility in two years time during the pandemic, I think we have proven how we're going to continue to to drive that uh, in the market. And at the same time as the company is having all these wins, you, Priya, are migrating all your data systems from on-premises to the cloud. Give me a little context. Why is Wolfspeed, a high-tech company, so on-prem? And what made the decision to go to the cloud? So the decision to go to cloud was all for analytics. I am not looking to migrate any of our on-prem systems into the cloud, but as we are building new capabilities, that's what we are bringing in the cloud. So analytics, our commercial solutions, I mean, we are in, in the process of migrating from our ERP into SAP, HANA, and that is going to be cloud-based as well. It's obviously easier to scale. And if you look at where we are with our growth expansion plans, it just makes it so much easier to be able to scale in the cloud. And that's why we made that decision. And when I first started that analytics journey, the reason I decided to go full cloud, even with our ETL capabilities, was I wanted to prove it to the business, what business value we can drive out of that data, right? And if I had to do that on-prem, that would have taken much longer. It would have been a long journey. So it made it so much easier uh, to make that decision to go in the cloud. A lot of services come already ready for us to just deploy it if we go in the cloud. And uh, we were able to show to the business the value that we could add. We picked the what I call a minimum viable product, right? An MVP to show the business capabilities in terms of how we can ensure that we give uh, early warning to our customers. So proving that came easy with cloud. Tell me a little bit more about that minimum viable product. What was that first capability specifically? So the, the first capability that I picked was wanting to make sure that we can figure out what are, with all the supply chain issues, what our vapors end date for production is going to look like, right? When it is going to come out so that we can give our customers enough warning as to what date we are going to be able to ship that to them. And if there is delay, we give them information up front. And that is the data we started collecting from the very end. So we started at the back end of the line where it was closest to the customer to collect that data, get that information, and be able to share that with our customers. Did that lead to some new insights for the business? It did. There were inefficiencies in our processes that we were able to see with that data that, you know, the team did a tremendous job in completely turning that around. Uh, but again, to turn that around, we needed to provide that data to the business first. Got it. We're talking about uh, your new data going into the cloud and applying analytics at scale, analytics from systems off the shelf. This is a, a question I've been asking and toying with. You've heard the metaphor that it's probably, it's about 15 years old, that data is the new oil. And I think that still works in some ways, but I think it also falls down because oil is not renewable. Oil is something that if I give it to you, I no longer have it. Data is not scarce. Data is everywhere. If I have data and I share it to you, I can still have that data. Have a think for a second. Give me another metaphor. Data is the new oil, works in some ways, but what's a better analogy for data in your work? 
I mean, to me, data has the power to give the insights for the business, right? So what insights that we are not able to drive without data is what a capability that it provides. So so basically, data becomes the, the new currency in my mind, because that's how you are able to bring revenue, add more revenue because of those insights, right? If you didn't have those insights, you wouldn't be able to take action to do better. So to me, data is a new currency. Nice. Nice. I like that. You mentioned that the first capability that kind of you've achieved using data in the cloud and your analytics systems was the tracking and awareness about when things are going to be delivered. What are some of the next capabilities you're looking to deploy? So, you know, like I said, we started from the back end of the line, then we kind of took it to the operations, right? So getting all of that data for the factories, for our materials business to figure out how do we improve efficiencies within the factories. And even for that matter, for our materials business, because materials business is very unique to us. We are vertically integrated. We build our own material. So there is not a whole lot of insights that we can get from the market or from any other companies. We have to kind of drive it from ground up ourselves. And the next that I'm actually applying it is to the business units. So for our power products, you know, where we do R&D, that's the next level that we are taking that to. Now the R&D team, we already have many smart, smart data scientists that are already working through that, how we can help them uh, make sure that we give them that data already at their fingertips so that they don't have to invest time into collecting all of that data, aggregating that data, sorting that data, and they can be the true data scientists that they are. That's where we are taking it uh, now. So uh, let's talk a little bit about maintaining and keeping your data clean, accurate, and up-to-date. What's involved in maintaining and keeping your data accurate in cloud? I think it's on-prem or cloud keeping Having the right governance processes is important. Making sure that you have kind of built the foundation with ensuring that you're going to have processes defined already that will make sure that you have the, your data stays compliant, right? Making sure that you have the right roles in place, making sure that you are measuring where the people are accessing, understanding and kind of knowing. Kind of like the analogy that I like to use, when you build your house, you know where everything is. You know, a lot of people talk about, hey, once I have built the house, I've rented it out. I don't know what people do inside it. But to me, it is even if you have rented your house, you kind of have to know that the pipes work, that there are no leaks that are happening. So that foundation work, I feel like you have to kind of build that up front. And then after that, it's the governance process that you establish. And the governance process also gets established up front that you continue to manage. And I also believe that the governance process has to be done in partnership with the business and not done just by IT team itself, right? Because if the business is talking about a new use case that they are bringing in, there are some parameters that need to get changed for another use case that was already in place, you have to look at it holistically and you cannot look at it in silo. So that's why I think the governance process has to work with the business. How do you decide what stays on-premises, what shifts to the cloud? So anything that is our highest IP that remains on-prem. Also for manufacturing, we want to make sure like the tier one applications that actually keep the factory running, that will always remain on-premise because I could lose my connectivity to the internet or any network connection. 
but my factory can continue to operate is kind of like the foundation that we use to define what goes in and what doesn't go in to the cloud. And the, the second aspect of it is making sure that you have, a as we were talking about governance, right, within that governance, having a strong foundation for compliance. So we know from data perspective, we have defined what data is able to leave our premise is kind of what goes into the cloud. So for every single type of data, we go through that exercise of making sure we market what type of data it is. Is it, you know, the, the IP sensitive? Is it even for certain policies like uh, privacy sensitive? So all of that data is marked and then it, the determination is made as to what goes into the cloud. So let's talk a little bit more about microchips. As we mentioned, they're in high, high demand in the auto space and beyond. WolfSpeed is building new foundries, uh, almost the way GM builds automobiles, it seems. And US and Europe want to kind of reduce some of their reliance on suppliers in the Pacific Rim. How do you see kind of the geography of foundries evolve? If you look at what the industry trend has been, a lot of companies are starting to put their factories in US, right? TSMC even announced they're putting in factory in US. So I think that is where the trajectory is going. But also if we see the history of semiconductor, right, it has been a very cyclical industry. I don't see that cyclical nature of it going away. Yes, it is in high demand right now. Everyone is trying to catch up. I don't know how long it will be before it comes to that downturn again, but I think what we will see is definitely a lot more growth in U.S., at least for the next decade. I see a whole lot of growth coming in U.S., and then long term, who knows when that dip will happen, but I think there will be a dip coming in the long term. Right. It's always been a cyclical industry. How does the CHIPS Act change the landscape for chip making in the U.S.? Does that have impact on wolf speed? I think every semiconductor manufacturer, right? And plus we are a US-based company. We have no presence in Asia Pacific from our manufacturing standpoint. So definitely, I think it's been a blessing to be able to have that act uh, go through. I think it is bringing the emphasis where it needs to be and it is helping us protect the IP, right? Because at the end of the day, how we manufacture is what's important. And if that IP goes out, that's, I think we lose the advantage on it. So I think that that CHIPS Act has been a great blessing for all semiconductor manufacturers, especially ones based in the U.S. How has kind of your shift to data in the cloud changed your approach to cybersecurity? This is a, something that, you know, I always talk to my CISO. Obviously, I think we all know data in the cloud is more secure because they have much more capabilities than what we would ever have on-prem to be able to drive the type of services that they do in the cloud. So I do not believe that data is more secure on-prem versus in the cloud, but with that being in cloud, you just have to make sure that you have all the capabilities built in that foundation. So you have, obviously, the data has to be encrypted both in transit as well as REST. You have to make sure that it has the right role-based access. You're doing the audits that you're doing. I think the things that you do in cloud and on-prem, to me, they are pretty much the same because, you know, you want to protect them these days with especially semiconductor and silicon carbide with how much we have been in the news. I think the bad actors are trying to, to get the data more than ever. Um, so we have to be highly vigilant. We have been focusing on making sure that our cybersecurity team, our governance risk compliance team are making sure that they are on they, our um, security team, our cybersecurity team is making sure that they can keep up with 
the upcoming technology. They are, uh, we are hiring more resources there. We are building new capabilities within our new capability center in Northern Ireland. You know, Wolfspeed has built this new IT capability center in Northern Ireland, and we started building a governance and risk compliance team over there that can be dedicated to making sure that we are keeping our data secure and also our applications footprint secure as well. If I gave you a magic wand, what's the one data analytics capability you would add to your cloud instantly today? If I had a magic wand and if it didn't take as long as it takes, I would say being able to share the data between our customers and us. That is one type of data that I would definitely get to as quickly as I can because I see a lot of value being driven from it for both customer and us. And I think it's a new trend for semiconductors to, or new culture, I should say, for semiconductors to be able to get to that point where they feel comfortable sharing their data across. And actually for all of manufacturing, coming from manufacturing background, I feel like that has been you know, a big no-no, but I think now that companies are opening up to be able to share that data. I think you just called back to your idea that data is the new currency. Currency is only good if you've circulated it. If you're hoarding it and keeping it in your bank, it's not really creating any value for you. Thank you very much, Priya. Thank you for your time today. You're very welcome. It was a great pleasure. This podcast is part of our collaboration with MIT Tech Review in partnership with Emphasis Cobalt. Visit our content hub on technologyreview.com to learn more about how businesses across the globe are moving from cloud chaos to cloud clarity. Be sure to follow Ahead in the Cloud wherever you get your podcasts. You can find more details in our show notes and transcripts at emphasis.com slash IKI. That's in our podcast section. Thanks to our producers, Catherine Burdett, Christine Calhoun, and Yulia Dabari. Dode Bigley is our audio technician. I'm Chad Watt with the Knowledge Institute signing off. Until next time, keep learning and keep sharing.